Welcome to News Underground on Radio 1190. My name is Lucy. I'm going to be your host tonight. Uh, and we have a great show lined up. I've got a couple folks here to talk about the Rocky Flats uh, nuclear weapons plant, um, which made plutonium triggers for nuclear bombs uh, in the mid-1900s for a few decades during the nuclear arms race, uh, and then had a whole legal battle and public health battle about it, uh, and is now being slated to open for public access. Um, it has not been in function for a couple decades, but it has been converted to a sort of uh, partially wildlife refuge, partial open space, um, and so it's being slated to open this weekend. Uh, and so we're going to talk about it. With me, I have John Lipsky. He is a former FPI agent uh, who was involved with the raid on the Rocky Flats plant in 1989 uh, in conjunction with the EPA. Uh, and he is also um, in conjunction with a book called The Ambushed Grand Jury, uh, which is detailing the situation following the raid and all of the uh, legal turmoil that occurred uh, following the closure of the plant. Um, and I also have with me Kristen Iverson. She is a professor at University of Cincinnati. She is the literary nonfiction editor of the Cincinnati Review. And she's the author of Full Body Burden, uh, which details her life growing up in what she calls the shadow of Rocky Flats uh, in Arvada, just southeast of the facility. Uh, and that book is out on paperback. It has been translated into multiple languages. And there is a documentary being made based on the book. Thank you both so much for being here with me. Thanks for having us, Lucy. Thank you for having me. So... I want to kind of start off uh, with what's been the history of Rocky Flats. Um, many folks in this area and many of our listeners have been here for multiple decades, uh, but we do have quite a few new people. Um, can you give me a brief rundown of sort of the timeline of Rocky Flats from its inception uh, as a functioning nuclear weapons plant to its current uh, anticipated state as a wildlife refuge and open space? In 1951, the government began a project called Project Apple, and they essentially stole the property from Marcus uh, McKay, who was a rancher. And um, with that, the state of Colorado also has a statute that almost invites the federal government to take land. And with the Fifth Amendment, eminent domain, the property was taken over by the, then the Atomic Energy Commission. and uh, the contract operator was Dow Chemical, and in 1951, the Rocky Flats nuclear weapons plant began. Began, began making, uh, I think, about 70,000 plutonium triggers for the thermonuclear weapon. And at the beginning, it wasn't known by the public what was going on, was it? No. Um, I've heard, you know, reading uh, Kristen's book, they made uh, Dow Chemical made scrubby bubbles or something like that. But when I landed in 1984 as a new FBI agent, uh, it was clear that it was a nu nuclear weapons production facility. And But um, I, I think for, for insight, uh, the U.S. environmental laws were far and few between, meaning 
late 1800s was really the only environmental crime. And I think with the courage of Rachel Carson in the 1960s with the Silent Spring, um, the, the whole country came around and started pushing for environmental crimes. So before that 1970 era with the EPA and the National Environmental Policy Act, it was denial of the victim at Rocky Flats. Uh, there were unlicensed waste disposal facilities, accidents, criticalities, and um, it, the contamination went off-site, and the Department of Energy, at the time was the Atom Atomic Energy Commission, and Dow Chemical denied any mishaps. And thankfully, Edward Martell from the National Center for At Atmospheric Research uh, is a PhD in radiochemistry, and he took his own samples off-site and declared that there had been off-site contamination with the second largest industrial fire at the plant in 1969. And, and what, what's, what's so interesting about this is that at the time, the Atomic Energy Commission denied that that could have possibly have happened. So they had their own physicists, Cray and Hardy, um, do their own studies. And not only did they confirm Dr. Martell's study, but it was worse. And from there, uh, I, I think the public really really took a, uh, an interest um, with the Lamb-Worth report that was Governor Lamb and, and Congressman Worth uh, impaneled a study. Um, after that, it was the Truth Force in 1978-79 with the year-long uh, protest. And um, Colorado really didn't have uh, anything really to say about whether that plant operated or not. And it wasn't until really 1984, the year that I landed here, that the Resource Conservation Recovery Act on environmental crime, federal envir environmental crime, became effective and had teeth finally. And then the state of Colorado got more involved. But um, quite frankly, the state of Colorado didn't do that much except um, take note and, and uh, talk to the, uh, at the time, the contract operator was Rockwell International. And um, at that point in time when the law took effect, then I, I, I saw it as a denial of victim um, or in responsibility as well because of the accidents and then denying the, the legal aspect of it. So in a, in a sense, I, I, I think that the Department of Energy has been more about, about being a juvenile delinquents and uh, because that's a definitional clause for it that you deny the the victim deny the responsibility, and um, the full the thing came to a head with more accidents, more problems at Rocky Flats, and uh, and then in 1989, I was the affiant for the search warrant, the criminal search warrant at Rocky Flats, and I served two of them in June of 1989, and launched the criminal investigation. How did you manage to get those search warrants in the first place? Get the clearance to raid the facility uh, with the shroud of secrecy with national security uh, in mind and the whole Cold War thing still a little relevant in 1989. That's right. Um, 1989 was a, really a pivotal year with the Cold War. The uh, Berlin Wall coming down in March of 1991, the Cold War ended. So we were really at the height of it. And it wasn't easy getting a search warrant at all. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't too tough to meet the predication standard for the U U.S. Attorney General guidelines on, on general crimes. 
you know, like today, you know, people are asking, well, how did that op-ed in the New York Times, how does that breach a law? Well, the U.S. Department of Justice has um, predication guidelines for what is a crime and, and how to investigate it, just like I did. But our predication was overwhelming. A guy named John Barton was an attorney for the Department of Energy. In 1986, he wrote a seven-page memo to his boss, the Assistant uh, Secretary of Energy, Marielle Walker, and, and some other people, and blatantly said that some of the waste facilities at Rocky Flats were patently illegal. So the predication was insurmountable with an insider showing that there, was, there were crimes at Rocky Flats, but now how do we get past the politics? And that's the, that was the hard part. And uh, my hat's off to then um, President George uh, Herbert Walker Bush, 41, because, only because, uh, he appointed Admiral James Watkins as the Energy Secretary, who was consulted in March of 1989 and allowed for the search warrant to occur. I, I truly believe that the veil of secrecy and the wrong person could have said, no, we're not going to have a search warrant. We're going to take care of it internally. But even Admiral Watkins had said that Rocky Flats was a mess. And I think he's, he knew that something had to be done. And what better way to do it independently than have another agency for the first time serve a search warrant on another executive branch. And that's what happened. So you weren't in the minority of the FBI thinking that this would be an issue? Um, if I, I wouldn't say that um, the minority has to be um, considered in terms of the Department of Justice, too. And um, Bob Mueller at the time was the um, Associate Attorney General for the Criminal um, program division at Rocky at the Department of Justice and his group wrote a multi-page le letter or memo that they didn't agree that a search warrant should be conducted but uh, it was because of the acting associate attorney general for lands and natural resources at DOJ he was very much in favor of it at the time the acting US attorney in Denver was for it and that's why it, why it went proceeded and then, like I say, in, in March, I met with the uh, Undersecretary of Energy in Washington, D.C., and they had decided that this was a good thing to do. And, uh, but there were, there were people in the ranks that felt that this was wrong. Some people owned homes near Rocky Flats, and they saw their, uh, you know, their nest egg to ba basically be devalue devalued because if there was a search warrant and an overt you know, publicity about what was going on at Rocky Flats, and they were going to lose money on their house. So some people, so it was, it w there was the right people in the right places that supported it, and that's all I cared about at the time, honestly. Right, and you mentioned the impact of those around, which brings me to you, Kristen. Um, your book, Full Body Burden, uh, which came out in 2012, is an enthralling read about what it's like to live, uh, to grow up and live in. Uh, an area very, very close to Rocky Flats and all that it um, that it impacted. What what was it like for you to live there then? Um, what was the perspective like for folks in your community about Rocky Flats? Well, we there was so little that we knew with respect to what was going on. 
Um, we, uh, we moved to Arvada in 1968 uh, when I was 10 years old. And at that point in time, there already had been significant radioactive and toxic contamination in the environment, um, <clears throat> largely due to two big fires. One was in 1957, and uh, the second one was uh, in 1969. And those two fires were so, so big um, and so significant. Uh, they started in the plutonium production facility where they actually manufacture triggers. And they burned through their production lines, they burned through the glove boxes, and they, um, particularly with the 1957 fire, they burned through the measuring uh, equipment. So we'll never know exactly how much radioactive and toxic contamination spread over Arvada, Westminster, and the Metro Denver area. And in fact, in, 19, in 1968, when we were, um, it, the fire happened on Mother's Day, and we were sitting outside having Mother's Day brunch, when a radioactive cloud traveled over our heads, quite literally. And we had no idea. There was uh, no warning, no evacuation, no information available to the public. And that's just the, that, that is just the way it was. Uh, there were um, articles in the newspaper that were frankly blatant lies um, by Rockwell, Dow Chemical as well, um, stating that the plant was safe, that there was nothing dangerous going on. And then further, a, a lot of the um, parents in my neighborhood where I grew up worked at Rocky Flats, and they weren't allowed to talk about their work or, or um, talk about what they did. If you can imagine having a job for 30 years and not being able to tell your family, you know, what you did. Um, and even workers within the plant were not allowed to share uh, information about what they did. So it really, you know, because the plant was operated by Dow Chemical when I was a kid, um, there were the rumor in the neighborhood was that they were making household cleaning supplies, and as John noted, it really is true. My mother thought that they were making scrubbing bubbles, uh, and lots of people thought that, and there were other rumors as well. And it wasn't until um, you know things started happening with the protests out at Rocky Flats and the Rocky Flats Truth Force, and Ed Martell, as as John was talking about all these things, and little things began to leak out you know, to the public, and yet even so, we never, never knew. Uh, my sisters and I, we rode our horses in the fields around the plant. Those fields are contaminated. There's no question. Uh, we swam in Stanley Lake. We swam with our horses and our dogs in Stanley Lake. There's plutonium in the sediment of that lake to the present day. We had no idea. And it wasn't until uh, later when actually I was a graduate student at the University of Denver and a single parent, and I was putting myself through school and, and raising my two boys. And I went to work out at Rocky Flats myself um, to help put myself through school. And uh, I, I knew a lot of people who worked out there. I had friends, uh, many of my neighbors and um, former school pals, you know, worked out at Rocky Flats. And and uh, it wasn't until really that point um, when I worked at the plant myself and, and saw things and heard things and people told me things and, and that's when I really began to understand what really was going on and how much at risk we, we, uh, we really were. And I, you know, I just want to state, I, I grew up in a neighborhood, I grew up in Bridaldale, right next to um, Meadowgate, it's kind of 80th and Sims area, which is one of the higher areas of, of contamination. And when I was a kid, there was cancer in almost every single house. If you look at my high school graduating class from Pomona High School in Arvada, 
there have been many, many, um, you know, the people who've had cancer, people who've died. It's unusually high, there's no question. So it, it was a very, you know, beautiful place to grow up and a very strange place to grow up. Right, and you write in your book uh, that when it was first uh, established, the, the plant, um, no one used really the word the word bomb. They called it a gadget, uh, the referring to the pl- the plutonium triggers um, that were made there. And do you think even if there had been knowledge about what the plant was doing, would there have been uh, a demand in the community for change back then? Oh, I think absolutely. I think absolutely. I, you know, one of the most um, horrifying parts for me uh, about writing this book and 10 years of research uh, went into this book. And as I was, and I I really began serious research the day I quit my job. (laughs) Um, And uh, my parents thought that they were raising their four children in the perfect environment. I mean, we were outdoors all the time, hiked and biked, we rode our horses, we swam. In the lake, we went inner tubing down, you know, all the little canals there. All those canals carry water that comes off that rocky flat site. And my parents thought they were raising their kids in the perfect environment. And and when my mother and father began to realize, along with me, um, how extensive the contamination was and how many sick people and sick animals there are and how much at risk uh, we were and are, I, I mean, they were they were horrified, and I grew up with the idea. I remember my father and mother both saying, "You know, well, surely if there was something really wrong, the government the government would tell us." And of course, they didn't tell us. They lied to us about what was happening. And um, now, let me um, also say that I think Rocky Flats is something that has divided our community for decades. Even the workers at Rocky Flats, I, you know, I had friends who worked out there who thought, you know, Rocky Flats is why, you know, we quote unquote won the Cold War. And they're very proud to be so-called Cold War uh, patriots. Um, on the other hand, there were a lot of people working out there who were scared, people who knew what was going on, people who were opposed to what was going on. And then you see those same divisions in the community. Um, you, you know, there are people who, who think we should, you know, let sleeping dogs lie, so to speak. Plutonium, you can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, you don't know if you're being exposed. Um, let's just pretend it's there, it's a beautiful landscape. And as John also referenced, there are a lot of people who own property even more now, who own property and houses. and. And um, we've kind of boxed ourselves into a corner. We're in a catch-22 situation. And we've been in that situation for a long time where people own houses out there and um, and they don't want their property values to go down. Uh, they don't want to risk the most important investment they've probably made in their lives. And yet at the same time, um, these people deserve to know that when their kids go in the backyard and play in the sandbox, as Kristen Haig did, one of the first children to die um, in my neighborhood, who happened to be the daughter of the man who built our house, um, they are, those children are at risk. And uh, so what do we do? How do we, what do we do now? It's, it's a really difficult situation, but I think the cost of not facing the truth of it is very high. If you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to News Underground, and we 
myself, Lucy, uh, former FBI agent John Lipsky, and author of Full Body Burden, Kristen Iverson, are talking about the Rocky Flats uh, nuclear weapons plant, which is slated to be open for public access uh, as a sort of wildlife refuge in open space this weekend. Um, and on the note of all of those public health um, issues that you noticed in your neighborhood, Kristen, uh, it's interesting to me that um, officials at the Colorado Department of Public Health denied the impacts, yet you also mentioned to me before we came on air that you've gotten literal thousands of emails of folks that have uh, been impacted by living near Rocky Flats. How, <laughs> how is something like this open to interpretation? Well, <laughs> I think that there's um, a lot of money is, and there's a lot of spin going on. And uh, there's, there's no question there are hundreds and thousands of people whose health uh, has been impacted by the plant, and this has been going on since 1952. Um, and there, uh, there's a great deal of evidence. Um, studies have shown significant contamination and significant health uh, issues. A lot of people, um, including, um, for example, Dr. Mark Johnson, who is the current executive director at Jefferson County Public Health, he uh, has stated that it is unwise to open Rocky Flats to the public, and he's had years and years of, of experience with dealing with public health consequences of this. Um, if you look at all of the studies, and not just the ones that um, have been funded in a way that might be present Rocky Flats in a favorable light, um, there's extensive evidence of, on, of past uh, health issues and ongoing health issues. And that's what we're seeing in, in, the, uh, in the health study that's going on now with Metropolitan State University and Colorado State University and the consortium of people who are, are putting that together and it's kind of organized by Rocky Flats Downwinders. We're seeing um, significant numbers of, of health issues and also autoimmune disorders, um, thyroid issues and that sort of thing. Um, in very clear and uh, disturbing patterns. Some of those patterns relate to the plume maps uh, from the two fires that I mentioned earlier. And just be, that those fires happened in 1957, 1968. That contamination is still there. Plutonium has a half-life of 24,000 years. Right, and it's, uh, it's worth noting that some folks have speculated that there may have been nuclear criticalities at those fires. Um, but it was never particularly proven or disproven. Yeah, and that again is, gets into politics. Um, and uh, I think given the evidence, uh, cesium and other contamin contaminants that have been found in the environment and even in my neighborhood, strontium was found in the bones of horses in my neighborhood. Um, you don't get things like that unless something like a criticality has occurred. And, and then I might also add, it, you know, plutonium, of course, is, is what we're most concerned about, but there are many, many other contaminants as well, an enormous amount of carbon tetrachloride and other contaminants that uh, have impacted public health. So we need more studies. We need studies of the soil. We need um, accurate studies of the air and the water, uh, truthfulness in reporting, and we need an extensive public health study and public health monitoring. When when all these people write me and email me, detail um, the stories, and many of these stories are similar in terms of the kinds of disease that, that 
they're reporting. There's really no place that, that I can send them for help. This um, downwinder study is the very first thing. We should have public health monitoring. Um, like they have had at some other uh, nuclear sites around the country. I think here in Colorado, we really have our blinders on and we're focused on growth and development and housing development and paid a price for it. We're going to continue to pay a price for it. Right. And there's been no shortage of difficulty with getting transparency in this process and especially on the legal side of things. Um, And John, I am just curious how the 1992 uh, pleading guilty from Rockwell, the the contractor at Rocky Flats for a time, uh, they pleaded guilty in 1992 uh, to violating the Clean Water Act and paid a fine, uh, yet there were no indictments. And yet, why was the jury um, documents and the court documents sealed? You, you uh, participated in this book, the, grand, the Ambushed Grand Jury, that kind of lays out all of that. But why, why the sealing of it if there wasn't actually an indictment? That's a very good question. And I think that's why the Ambushed Grand Jury book was written with one of the authors was the foreman of the grand jury. And it also highlighted myself and Jackie Breaver, who was a worker, and she died a couple of years ago. What better way to put the lid on all the information than to impanel, which they did, but it was a special federal grand jury, so it was the first special federal grand jury in Colorado. And they, and the 23 members were impaneled and told that they were going to be allowed to write a report. So as far as the grand jurors thought, they thought that they were going to have control of the investigation, that they were autonomous to the U.S. Attorney's Office, and that they could ask for further investigation. And then all of a sudden, about early 1992, it all came to a screeching halt. And in the book, it explains that the the special federal grand jurors were going to indict individuals, eight, as well as the corporation. Department of Energy can't be indicted because of sovereign immunity, so there were some, apparently there were some people from the Department of Energy that were going to be indicted, but that wasn't what the the, the big plan for the government, and it all amounts to cover up, because now all of the grand jury investigation documents are sealed in the courthouse, and what's interesting, I, I, the listeners might think what will be interesting is that the ambush grand jury was published in March of 2004. And questions were raised with Mark Udall, who was a congressman at the time, and he was the author of the Rocky Flats National Wildlife Refuge Act, along with uh, the senator, Wayne Allard. And uh, he had enough questions raised by him that he started asking questions of the Department of Energy and the regulatory agencies, CDPHE and EPA. And so much so that then U.S. Attorney John Southers, who became the Attorney General for Colorado, now is the mayor of Colorado Springs, offered to allow the Department of Energy, EPA, and Health Department to look at their files on the case. And none of the agencies took them up on it. They were closing out the the uh, remediation action at Rocky Flats. And I don't I don't really think that the government, who's supposed to make us safe, 
wanted to have anything show up that would cost more money or more time would elapse because back in, in the late 90s, there was an agreement between Congress and the Department of Energy that if they controlled the cleanup down to 10 years and $7 billion and they were funded annually, that the funding would come. And But also, too, we, they were supposed to keep the public at bay because of such the huge you know, community interest, the protests. We have a lot of smart people in, in this area, in the whole state, and they weren't going to be bamboozled, but in a way that uh, I, I think uh, it's a real study of how the government has tricked society um, into basically nuclear waste is not our friend. So they want us to live with... Uh, nuclear waste at Rocky Flats that the global amount was 0.05 picocuries per gram and the three-foot limit at Rocky Flats Refuge is 50 picocuries per gram. So we're talking a huge difference. And uh, I was just thinking about what was said earlier. You know, I know a, a former worker, they were pretty much trapped at that job at Rocky Flats because he received a, a full body burden which meant he had the, the, the lifetime amount of radiation. And uh, him and his wife terminated the pregnancy. And they decided to make, make it so that they couldn't have children anymore. And the reason why they did that is he couldn't find another job because he couldn't get insurance. And him and his wife decided they shouldn't have a family because with his radiation exposures, there could be aberrations of DNA and lineage down downstream could be messed up so to speak and you know this is quite I was taken back when I first heard the story and you know this is a huge impact and so of course the workers wanted their jobs to keep going they wanted a livelihood and why would um, why would they want information to go out to the public that it could be unsafe at Rocky Flats and you know then, of course, the plant closed down because they couldn't operate it legally. It was on the Superfund site in 1980, or it was made a Superfund site in 1989, and there was nothing else to do but limit the amount of money that would be spent to make it so that it would be palatable for people to live around. And, you know, another thing, too, is the city of Arvada is hell-bent on the Jefferson Parkway, along with Broomfield and Jefferson County. And that's another aspect of it, through some of the most contaminated area. And the other the thing about the health studies that has always bothered me is that the health department wasn't trying to make Rocky Flats safe because they spent a year collecting information. And the day after I served my first search warrant, the health department served their compliance order to DOE and, and Rockwell with a litany of, of violations going back a year, but what they really wanted was oversight money. The state of Washington had negotiated their money with Hanford, and now Colorado wanted their oversight money. So in June of 1989, and some of this information's up on the website for the ambush grand jury, um, then Governor Romer announced that he had uh, cut an agreement in principle with DOE, and part of that funding was a health study. And we're talking millions, not, not, not a few hundred thousand like it is now, but it's in the millions. 
And I, I've always wondered two things. Why did it take so long for the health department to do the health study in the late 90s? And then the other aspect of it is they didn't even look for thyroid problems. Now, I'm not a public health person at all. I don't have any credentials. But even I know that if you're looking for radiation problems, you're going to look for thyroid problems. And that was not done. So it, it really discredits what efforts and it makes you wonder why we spent so much money for health study. And then, as Kristen was talking about the uh, contamination going out to Denver, what did the health department do? They compared the area around Rocky Flats with people in Denver where the isopleth showed contamination. Now we all, or at least have been published, that Summit County is almost cancer free and there's no particular uh, radiation problem in that county. So why not compare what's happened with the Rocky Flats situation with Summit County instead of Arvada with Denver. So it's, it's just uh, spending money unwisely, and, and we're stuck with it. We really are. Right, and to be clear, the lawsuit still, there is still a lawsuit going on. Um, there were attempts this summer for a preliminary injunction to halt the opening of Rocky Flats for more studies, for uh, more time to figure out what the impact of it was, but uh, the district court judge, Phil Brimmer, chose not to grant the preliminary injunction uh, that was being asked by the plaintiffs. Um, and the plaintiff organizations include some folks uh, that live right near Rocky Flats. If you look on Google Maps for Rocky Flats, you can see it's between uh, about West 120th Avenue on the north and um, 72 Colorado Road 72 on the south uh, and then Highway 93 on the west and Indiana Street on the east and there are neighborhoods right up next to it already and Kristen why do you think um, folks are living there even as the uh, the knowledge of what Rocky Flats was is now public well I think it's you know some of the same problems that that we've dealt with for years with respect to the fact that it's a high growth area it's a beautiful area um, and people want to live there and raise their kids there for all the same reasons that my parents did and close to the mountains it's a beautiful view it's a great location but you know right between boulder and denver um and i think people are buying houses in the same way that unfortunately they did when my parents bought their house they're not fully informed there are um, very specific and aggressive efforts on the part of developers to only present part of the information and present misinformation uh, the site is not clearly marked there's no signage that talks about what happened there and why it is uh, still risky and um, one thing that's interesting, when my parents bought their house in Bridaldale, they had to sign an advisory notice that stated quite clearly that there was plutonium in the soil, that there was a risk associated with that plutonium, and that anyone who bought a house there, uh, you know, you had to be aware of, made aware of that, and, uh, and you couldn't get a mortgage unless you had signed that particular form. And um, that form, uh, was in place for several years and then it was done away with under the Reagan administration and never came back. And so even with, you know, the um, somewhat limited information, but 
true. I mean, that factual information, you know, that my parents had, there were constant reassurances by the government, by the uh, corporations that were running like it's safe, don't worry about it. And there also was some question, um, or at least in my neighborhood back then, about how dangerous plutonium really was. People were pretty unaware uh, in many ways with respect to environmental contamination. And that's no longer true. You know, there's no doubt how dangerous plutonium is, and there's no doubt that there is plutonium in that soil. The same plutonium that was there when my parents had to sign their advisory notice is still there. Um, and yet there was uh, enough uh, push, political push, uh, back under Reagan to, you know, to get rid of that. So I think, you know, I, I, I feel badly. I, you know, I know um, there are some people who are really excited about these new housing developments, and, and they're pretty houses with a great view. And I just think, you know, as I said before, we've paid a cost in terms of, of health past, and... Um, it's going to continue. I've spoke uh, before several brokers in the area, and they've told me they will not steer their clients to, to the area of Rocky Flats. And I, I said, what's the prominent reason? And, and I was told that the value doesn't last with those properties. They, uh, they don't hold their value at all. People are upside down almost immediately when they buy into it. But there's also, they also have concerns about what they weren't told. Now, I've seen some of the disclosure statements by some of the builders out there, and one of them in particular does say there's a, a proposed Rocky Flats National Wildlife Refuge. This was a couple of years ago. And it says nothing about in the middle is a, an active Superfund site. And it, it basically ends with it's up to you to investigate. And so I would propose that if someone new, an in, you know, a, an import, wants to know more about Rocky Flats, you're going to probably want to call the Department of Energy and the Rocky Flats Stewardship Council, EPA and Health Department, they're all going to say it's safe. And safe has a different meaning, I think, or context than uh, what Rocky Flats really is. Rocky Flats is actually a risk-based uh, standard. So the the risk is one in a million that you'll get cancer from plutonium. So is that safe? Not to me, it's not safe. But um, the other problem is, is that the, uh, the government has been saying that the refuge is pristine. Or in the Rocky Flats National Wildlife Refuge Act, it's un, you know, generally um, undisturbed. Well, that's not true. It was salt and peppered with contaminants over the years. That, and uh, another point to make, is that it was not cleaned up. The refuge and the 20, I think there's 20,000 uh, acres offsite that includes where Candelas is now, that was not cleaned up. So people are basically, uh, you know, after the construction are, are sitting on uh, unremediated lands. Right, and it's worth noting that all nuclear waste is very, very difficult to clean up, but specifically plutonium, uh, it's created from uranium, and it has a half-life of 24,000 years, so it takes 500,000 years for it to become non-radioactive at all, which is not a human timeline by any standard. And if I could add one more thing, is that Rocky Flats used weapons-grade plutonium, 
So in other words, the, the plutonium at Rocky Flats was 95% plutonium. It was a lot hotter than what's at a power plant, which is a lot less. So it was a, it was a hybrid or a, um, a plutonium on steroids, basically, that was used in the bomb. And so the, 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 the danger is even worse. And so to kind of close up, uh, with the opening this weekend, um, and we recently had a visit from the new EPA chief, Andrew Wheeler, uh, he said he would, quote, come back for a hike uh, at Rocky Flats, uh, unquote, because he thought it was really beautiful, but he didn't really see um, or speak about any of the issues that we've been talking about today. Um, where where do you th- does this look like it stands for the community, for the state? Is this lawsuit that's still pending um, going to result in some sort of change, or will Rocky Flats kind of go the way of the Rocky Mountain Arsenal where it's kind of more open? Uh, and to be clear, the Arsenal is not um, as contaminated in the way that Rocky Flats is, but... Actually, there's two chances. Um the uh, community organization, the five community organizations that sued last year, sued again this year, and Judge Brimmer um, ordered did not order a preliminary injunction, but the the base the basic complaint is still pending, and there's a second lawsuit by the town of Superior, so there's two chances that things might get rolled back, but I don't have much hope that it will close the refuge because basically these are these are administrative things. And it will just make the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service go back and, and redo what they should have done. The way I look at it, they, they wrote their own book. And it, it, it's so reckless and blatant, Lucy, that um, I took pictures of the entrances at, at the refuge in August. And I found one of them open. In other words, there was no fence. There was a beautiful riata. Uh, have a little skull on top. It's the uh, s- South Woman Loop trail and there was some signage and it didn't have the the three important words that Fish and Wildlife Service said they were going to put on their signs plutonium accidents and danger or dangerous and so the attorney for the five community organizations sent a letter to the the, the, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service and they ran out and put the second sign up without still those three words but there's more openings out there now so they're they're being reckless about it and pushing the envelope, and um, they're, they're avoiding any controversy about it being less safe, I guess, than uh, what, what they want to project. They just want to get that open and make friends with nuclear waste with people. And Kristen, you, after having firsthand experienced health effects as a, real, as a result of living in the shadow of Rocky Flats, seeing the effects in your community, what are you hoping to see uh, coming up in the next few years with potential lawsuits or um, public health surveys, things like that? Well, I think it's, I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, I, I want truth and transparency. Um, I, you know, that's the most important thing. And I, I think, you know, we have these two lawsuits pending. Um, the Cook v. Rock, uh, Rockwell uh, class action lawsuit just recently um, came to a close, again confirming the contamination that's out there, and that was tied up in the courts for decades. I think we're going to see more lawsuits. I think uh, as we 
see continuing uh, patterns of health issues as the health study continues, as, as we're able to more openly talk about what's happened at Rocky Flats. I think we are going to have more lawsuits. Uh, my, my one hope is uh, public education. Those signs out at the site need to be very clear about what happened there and why it continues to be risky. We need to hold developers to um, some kind of uh, truthful transparency with respect to potential home buyers. People come from out of state, they have no idea what they're what they're getting into, you know, when they look at houses out there. Mm -hmm. And and then also, um, for example, um, what's happening with the school dis districts right now. Seven school districts have decided to not allow field trips to the refuge, and that protects nearly 300,000 students in the state of Colorado from potential contamination at Rocky Flats. And um, I think it's just very important for schools and just the, the public to be aware of what's going on and. Um, and we need to continue with um, testing, adequate testing of the soil and the air and the water, and public health monitoring, which is what we really need most of all. And I think it's going to happen, and I think it's going to show some stark facts. You've been listening to News Underground. We've been talking about Rocky Flats, the former nuclear weapons plant uh, that made 70 thousand or more plutonium pits uh, which would be used theoretically for nuclear bombs uh, from 1952 to 1989 and was subsequently raided by the FBI um, put through a few lawsuits and the plant was closed but the wildlife refuge which uh, surrounds the central Superfund site inside of that region. Uh, the Wildlife Refuge is slated to open this weekend. Uh, there have been multiple editorials from the Daily Camera, Westward, others around the area um, calling for it to not open. Um, but as of now, uh, it will be opening this weekend. There's a, there are two pending lawsuits, which may be, um, may be changing how the public interacts with Rocky Flats, but that's uncertain. Uh, the requested preliminary injunctions this summer were not granted. So, thank you. That was Kristen Iverson. Uh, right just now, she was speaking about um, her experience. She grew up in the shadow of Rocky Flats in Arvada, Colorado. Uh, she wrote a book about her life there uh, called Full Body Burden. Uh, it was published in 2012 and is out on paperback. Uh, as of recent, it's been translated into multiple languages and is the basis of a documentary that is being made. And before her, you've also heard us talk with John Lipsky. He was a former FBI agent that led the raid of the Rocky Flats weapons plant. Uh, and he also cooperated with the creation of the Ambushed Grand Jury uh, book, which explains the legal strife with the initial um, legal battle and the sealing of grand jury documents and whatnot. Um, there will be a protest uh, at the EPA this Saturday on the same day that it opens, uh, and there are slated to be other protests, other editorials coming out. Um, it still stays a political issue, um, even as folks have been affected. So, Kristen and John, thank you so much for joining me with this conversation. Thanks, Lucy, and the listeners. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to News Underground on Radio 1190. My name is Lucy, 
and I will see you next Monday at 6 p.m. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Burning Down the House by the Talking Heads. <laughs>